What's going on, beautiful people? This is Mr. No Excuses and my man, Jay. What's going on? What's going on? With another episode of the Hidden Truths Podcast, where we provide therapy through conversation, restoring trust and community advocacy, one conversation at a time. What are those skeletons you've been hiding in your closet? What are those uncomfortable conversations that you need to have that may be holding you back from your progress? The more we talk about it, the more we communicate openly and honestly about it, the more we can start trusting each other. The more we start trusting each other, the more we can start building and growing with each other. So that's what we're here to talk about with the Hidden Truths Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe. We're available on all social media platforms and all listening platforms. Hidden Truths Podcast. What exactly is an 88? Better known as a suspicious person. I mean, why are they suspicious? Are they termed that because of their living conditions? For instance, the brass orders us to get out with everyone one night. So basically, everyone was suspicious that night. I realize this is a high crime location, but this community isn't all criminal. We'd be searching out of desperation. Stopping people at the Shell gas station and the lotto players hoping to win a few bucks. It's funny because no cops are stopping people on the rich side of town showing up at Starbucks. True, they don't have half of the crime. It's because those residents have way more than a dime. To their name, I grew up with little money and even right now it's still the same. I wasn't suspicious back then, neither am I now. But it's no wonder why residents don't trust us when we come around. A low-income area with no jobs, amongst violence. A bad hand was dealt, yet they're all treated like criminals and expected to be silent. So that is a snippet from Imprisoned in Blue, a book by the author Amos Mack Jr., a.k.a. Mr. Corey Townsend, a.k.a. Mr. Voice TV, as you know him, the man behind the lens. And we have him in here in the studio with us. Corey, what up, man? Hey, what's going on, man? I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So the reason I wanted to open it up with this clip or this segment from your book is because that's the topic of today. Uh, your book title is Imprisoned in Blue. And I'm sure our audience is wondering, well, What's Corey's insight with that? Well, Corey used to be a cop about, what, five years ago, right? Yeah, about five years. Right, right, right. And so I wanted to have Corey on to give the perspective of a black cop and what that experience was like because, you know, as we all know, we have our different perceptions, especially in in the black community of cops, especially black cops. There's a lot of distrust for obvious reasons uh, or for well-documented reasons while the black community has a disdain most of the time for cops. So I wanted to have Corey on to give his perspectives and opinions on that. So, Corey, what first question is, what made you become a cop in the first place? So when people find out that I used to be a cop, they always ask me that, what made me want to become a cop? It's not one of those things that I, I grew up wanting to do. Um, you know, when we were kids, play cops and robbers. I was a robber. Like, I never wanted to be a cop, you know? <laughs> But, uh, like, so I was working in the school system, and I seen uh, some resource officers, and, you know, when I started talking to him, I'm like, he's, he's no different than me. He's another brother, you know, mm-hmm. he's a lot similar to me. And, you know, I had those stereotypes about officers, and he was like, man, won't you just come on, man, you know? Come on, man, you could just be something that you never really had in the community. You know, I never really had a relationship with an officer in the community, so I was naive in a sense, thinking I could kind of change things, but I wanted to be like, kind of like a voice in the community that, you know, they normally don't have. So I, I decided to do it. Okay. And what year was it that you started? Uh, 2011, I think. Yeah, 2011. Okay, and how long did you did you serve? It was almost, it was almost, um, Four, four years. Okay. Yeah, it was almost four years. And so, kind of walk us through what the process is like for becoming a police officer. So, out here, um, it's, a, it's a little different um, in different places, but out here, we have uh, the academy. So, you go through the academy, the academy is six months long. So, other places like small towns, you may have to go take the um, BLET, 
that's like the basic law enforcement training. So you had to pass that like at a community college or something that had classes, and then you had to apply for the um, whatever like police station it is. But here in Charlotte, you go through the um, police academy. Once you in the police academy, you own. So you go directly, you have a job. So you don't have to go applying for anywhere. Like Charlotte has its own police academy. Other other um, departments, they don't have their own. Gotcha, gotcha. So I think I think that's more of a, like a, a city type, a bigger city thing. So if you're in a smaller town or in a smaller city, you would have to go to a community college, take the classes, then apply to different departments. So like Kannapolis and stuff like that, they have to go somewhere else, and then they have to apply there. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So so the academy is it, six months long. Um, it's Monday through Friday. We take a lot of tests. We do a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different training. Got tased. Uh, went through the gas chamber, had to fight, pepper spray, all that. Now, you actually are being tased and being pepper sprayed and doing the same to other people that are going through training? Right. So, their thing is, you know, you have to understand what this does. Right. When you, outside of being shot, we ain't getting shot. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, so, like, I know how it feels to get, like, tased. I know how it feels um, to get pepper spray. I know how it feels to be in, in the gas chamber and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we definitely had to do that. So, what was that kind of first week, couple months? What was kind of going through your mind at that time? Like, did you already have, and it sounded like you did, kind of some different perceptions, some pretenses about being a cop. So, how did you balance all that with now being a cop? It, it was it was strange, man, because like the entire time I was doing it, I'm like, man, I'm a I'm about to be a cop. <laughs> like for that, like it is it, it was it's real strange because you know, in the community in our neighborhoods and stuff, people don't want to be cops. Right. So I was kind of like fighting with myself, like, man, why am I being a cop, man? It's, it's, it feel kind of off. So it was it was strange, man, because I don't know. I wouldn't say it's brainwashing. But it kind of is, though. I mean, I guess I, I've never been in the military, but, you know, it's kind of like they try to structure it like that in a sense because there's a lot of military, former military people that trans, um, that go into law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So you got, like, you got you got the ranking system and stuff like that. You got the ranking system. So, and they tell you what to do, and you got to march, and you got to be in formation and stuff like that. So it was, it was just real different for me, you know, and, um, Really, man, just a couple brothers that was going through the academy at the same time with me kind of helped me get through it. Because we used to just talk to each other all the time. Like, man, how are you? It's on some bullshit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, just talking to and helping each other out, man, it, it helped me um, get through it. And then just by seeing other people that look like me, it made it a little more easier, too. You know, so if I had been the only brother up in there, I probably would have quit, for real. So we're, as a black guy during your training course and by the time you actually got on mm-hmm. as far as the racial demographic of your department was it kind of even or were you as a as a black man still a minority oh yeah definitely a minority um definitely a minority it's definitely more um white officers than it mm-hmm. is um black officers um for sure and i i think too man because a lot of us don't want to be that Right, you right, know, right. This is definitely a negative connotation that comes along with being a law enforcement officer. So, I mean, this is not a cool thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, for for reasons, historical reasons, you know, we don't necessarily have to dig all the way into it, but just how level, like, most listeners already are aware of, there is a history of uh, racial injustice in the political system and in the policing system. For sure. And there's documented stories of, um, you know, infiltrations. I mean, even dating all the way back to the Black Panthers and the FBI conspiracy with the police and, you know, even segueing into today's time with things that we see in, uh, you know, the police murders, police shootings, day in and day out. So all that creates this disdain for cops. And I think it's, it kind of goes two ways too, because on one hand, nobody, black black people, we don't we don't like cops. We don't like being around cops. But on the flip side, as soon as something goes wrong, the cops is the first one we call in. For sure. And I I think where the misunderstanding is, is that it's not that 
black people necessarily don't like cops per se. Mm-hmm. We don't like the the injustice of the policing system and how we are disproportionately policed when the majority of higher crimes are not committed within black communities. Right. So from a personal standpoint, I don't have any issues with good police work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's needed, obviously. Um, now, obviously, you know, if we, um, if, there, if there were crimes were lower, the crimes were not being committed, then obviously there would be no need to call a police officer. So obviously there is a, a need for it. But again, the, the miscommunication, the confusion comes in when it's portrayed that black people don't like cops. And granted, there might be a lot of people, a lot of black people who don't like cops. Right. But the issue is that it's not the good police work that we have an issue with. It's the injustice. So I want to go back to what we just read in your book, 1088. Mm-hmm. I took my bookmark out and I forgot the page. Hopefully you got a table of contents in here. <laughs> oh. uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I think. All right, I just got to it. Should have left my bookmark in. And so 1088. All right, 1088, you started off by saying, uh, better known as a suspicious person. So take us back to, if you can, Uh what was going through your mind when you wrote this. Man, uh, what was going through my mind, because 1088, that's just a 10 code. Right, right, right. So, you know. Now, explain what 10 codes are for those who don't know. Yeah, so with with law enforcement, you have like 10 codes. So you say someone is uh, 73. Or something like that, or you got, or you hear people say 10-4 all the time. Right, that's like just affirmative. That's what it means. So ten eighty eight is just saying that's a suspicious person. So we mm-hmm. got, hey, we got an eighty eight over there. So check out this eighty eight. We need to run some twenty nine. So you, you pretty much checking to see if they got warrants or anything like that. So when they say twenty nine, it's crazy that I still kind of remember some of these. Right, I've been out the game for like five years, so it's talking about it's kind of coming back. So yeah, basically it's just it's just lingo, it's just code words for real. Okay, so when you when you wrote this passage, 1088, kind of talk us through what was going through your mind. What was your inspiration for writing? Yeah, so when I wrote that, my, my inspiration was me because when you, you say a suspicious person and stuff and we're in neighborhoods when looking at people just like me, you're talking about me. Right. You know, so when I take off this uniform, you you see the way I dress now. I mean, I was dressing like that back then. So you talking about, I'm a suspicious person in your eyes. So it's, it's difficult for me to even do my job knowing how you really feel about me. You know, so that's what um what kind of like prompted me to do that. So when I was talking about how we had to get out with people, they literally wanted us to get out, and it's called FI field interview. So it's basically you just making contact with people, checking their IDs and stuff. So just because I live in a, a neighborhood that's not a prominent neighborhood, I gotta you gotta stop me and check my ID. So when you, you know say stop, uh, I'm assuming you're not just talking about a traffic stop. No, no, no. So it's like you walking up to people and stuff. So if you hmm. if you out and you see people walking around, you just making contact with them. You know, hey, how you doing? Blah blah blah. Hey, what's, what's going on? Uh, you mind if I see your ID and stuff like that? You know, it's very intrusive in the hmm. sense like, yeah, that's, it's called. I mean, it's voluntarily. But, you know, people can work around that type of stuff, too. We all know how that is. Right. You know? So how what what rights as a police officer do you have to ask for someone's ID if there's no there's no warrant, there's no just cause for even asking for it? Yeah. So a lot you can walk off. You, you can mm-hmm. walk off. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't know their rights and stuff like that. You don't have to talk to them. They don't have anything on you. They're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, you mind if I talk to you for a second? Keep walking. I mean, that happens all the time. Right. You That's know? the first thing they say when uh, when you're getting arrested. You have the right to remain silent. Right, absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's like voluntary contact. And you just try to, like, get out with people because it's like a string of, like, robberies and stuff going on at that time. And they want to kind of, like, suppress it. So, you got a lot of people out here. It's like, it's funny, man. A lot of criminals out here aren't very smart. So, <laughs> so they like commit the crime in the same area, and they'd be walking around in the same area. So it's been mm-hmm. plenty of times people walking around and got warrants on them and stuff like that. And we're actually stopped. I, I've I've been in, on a call where a guy, uh, the uh, police officer just made contact with him. He stopped. Took had a gun on him and everything. You know, <laughs> and he was a felon. 
I'm like, yo, why, why did, and I'm looking back, I'm like, yo, why you stop? Like, right. <laughs> Keep going. Right. He didn't have nothing, you didn't have nothing on you. I mean, he didn't have anything on you for you to stop, but people don't know. I'm just saying that. Right. People don't know, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times, and we can, you know, get into that a little bit later too, because mm-hmm. I, I definitely want to talk about the rights that we have, you know, when we're in that type of situation. But before we segue off into that, so this passage 1088, so talking about a suspicious person. Right. So I'm assuming, I'm going to take a wild guess, right. probably not a wild guess, but uh, <laughs> most of the areas that you were in were probably predominantly black. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, black and um, Hispanic. Yeah, yeah, so, minorities. Yeah. Mm-hmm, minorities, as they say. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, quote, unquote, minority. Yeah, so you know, that, that's definitely the area. What, what's funny, though, and I don't want to venture off because we can talk about a lot of stuff but going back to like what you was talking about as far as um, not necessarily not liking the police, it's just the injustice in, of, the, of the system. So me being a black cop, though, working in a like predominantly black neighborhood, <laughs> it's funny because I was a sellout being a cop. You know what I'm saying? Meaning you I'm thought Oreo. you were a sellout? No, I'm a or Oreo. that's how you were viewed? I was viewed as an Oreo, okay. you know, because I'm a, I'm a cop. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's crazy because, like you say, you, you got a lot of people. The first thing they do is call call the police. You see what I'm saying? Right. So I'm trying to be that person that actually kind of understand where you coming from. Like I'm not trying to lock you up. Like I hated lock, locking people. I ain't like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I hated doing that, man. And and I'm trying to respect you. I'm, I'm when I'm coming in your house. I'm trying to respect you. It was funny because one officer making a joke talking about uh, Townsend. You ain't got no use of force. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, ain't, that's a good thing. If I can talk you into these handcuffs, why I got to fight you? You right. know what I'm saying? All you got, I mean, it's been times when I've arrested people and the dude pretty much told me, he gave, he shook my hand, I'm arresting this dude, and he telling me, like, thank you for, like, treating me like a man. You see what I'm saying? Right, right, right. So it's, it's just, it, 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 it goes back to, like, what you were saying as far as, like, the community, how they, how they view law enforcement officers because of their experience. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. And that's really what it comes down to is the experiences that a lot of black people have had right. with cops. And, um, man, there was so many thoughts that just ran through my mind when you were talking about that. Um, let's talk about the the treatment mm-hmm. and the, the different perceptions. Because going back to what you just said, where the uh, one of your comrades jokingly said you don't use a lot of force right so i'm assuming based off that comment that that's what the, that's the mindset that they already have is to use force first so how was the training in terms of dealing with people how yeah. did that go when you were in, yeah. in the academy that's a, that's a good um question because people always talk about you know we need more training i mean what you do but at the same time, it's still based on individuals. So me and you can have the exact same training, but from my experiences in life, it will predicate what we do. Right. So if I'm if I grew up like fighting people growing up around black people and understanding like how we communicate, my training in the academy still will lead me to do a different action than someone who's never been around black people before. So right. you got so we had a lot of people in my academy class that never been in fights or anything but then once they go through the academy you put them in an all black neighborhood you put them on the Ford or something right. you put them in, in the valley you know what I'm saying so it's going to be different so all the training in the world can't prepare you for like the experiences experiences that you did not have you know what right. I'm saying yeah because it's we as people already are going to have our own different biases regardless of what our career path or different trainings or whatever the case may be we're already going to have our different biases based off how we were brought up so when you're talking about police officers and you know even as you mentioned in your in your regime you were still a minority as a black person so you're you're in, in a situation to where it's predominantly white cops but you're going into predominantly black neighborhoods so a lot of them, the majority of them, probably don't know how to react and respond to those type of situations. So is there any kind of, well, I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. Any sort of psychological training, any sort of cultural training on how to understand different cultural behaviors. So you know how, you know, if you see a group of black people just being loud and boisterous, you know that's just them being who they are there's no threat 
Right. So is there any sort of training for that type of situation? Man, I don't recall um, seeing any training in regards to that. Um, they may have it, but I'm not. I don't recall seeing it. And, and that's the thing. You're right because we get, we get loud all the time. Right. You know, he's very animated, using our hands and stuff. And people, you know, they see that as a threat. You know, they're already scared anyway because of the stereotype. And then, you know, you inflate your voice just a little bit. But let me see your hands. Like, right. man, I be like that, man. Just talking to you. Right, right, right. People understand that. And you mentioned something interesting, too. A lot of the guys that you were in the academy with, ex-military. Right. Now, if you've been in the military, a lot of times you may be dealing with PTSD. Right, yeah. And most of the time not getting any sort of treatment for that. So now you're back in an environment where you're not in a war environment, but you're still having a lot of times some of those flashbacks and some of those same behaviors. Mm -hmm. Shoot first, ask questions last. And it's just interesting that, you know, throughout the history that there hasn't been any sort of, you know, cultural training, psychological training before you take this person and put them in this environment and just give them a gun and a vest. Yeah. I think... Uh I think you you put two good points up here. I, I've never even looked at it from those um, point of views. So one, you were saying that cultural training. Mm -hmm. That's actually a real interesting topic, man. Like we have so many different cultural beliefs between different cultures that there should be some kind of training from a person within that culture to help us understand that we see things differently. I'm really sitting here. I was like, man, that's pretty pretty interesting, and not just. And not trying to go astray like we always do, but <laughs> even in corporate America, I mean, we look at things differently from mm -hmm. a different cultural standpoint. I think that's pretty dope, be the fact that they don't have these trainings. I mean, when you look at it, they probably have diversity training, which right, diversity which is... and cultural training is two totally different things. Diversity just trains you to say that there are there are different people within your working environment. Yeah, but period. culture, period. That's it. <laughs> but cultural training says, "Hey, out next after that period, let's tell you what it goes into our culture. Right. Why we do do the things we do. Because as a black man, I can only talk for a black man. I understand how our black people are, and I understand some of the things we do. Now, if you have a Caucasian, you may they may think differently, or you know, just different races and nationality. They, they just act differently to different." actions so e that's that's big I, I really think that you know people um corporations um police they all should actually start thinking about you know why is there no why why we don't put together a cultural training so people can understand more of where we come from i think that's really really dope yeah, i mean that would be that would be great that would be outstanding but i don't think it's by accident that we mm. don't have it mm. because now if you train somebody and inform them of, okay, different cultural behaviors or what have you, well, now if you inform, you have to change your behaviors mm -hmm. because now there's no excuse. So without that cultural uh, endowment, you can use that as an excuse, as a crutch. Oh, well, we they were know. they were looking very mm -hmm. aggressive. They, they behaved in an aggressive manner that made me mm -hmm. feel threatened. So that's in my opinion, why that doesn't exist because that removes the excuse. Yeah, and the, the second, too. Yeah, Absolutely. And the second point you made, and I, I, that hit on me because I come from a military background. Mm -hmm. I was in the military. And even though I wasn't like an MP or something like that where we're, you know, basically trained to be the police of the military, you still go through the same type of training to understand what they think. And military is not like civilian life. It ain't like you overseas and they're like, hey, we need you to go de-escalate the situation. It's you make sure you aim and make sure you save right. your unit. It ain't about them. It's about your unit surviving. So mm -hmm. think about them coming with that mentality, like you said, eat over to be a cop. And now it's like, well, I know I got to save my yeah, brothers in blue, in blue before I save you. Right. Because if you already have the bias of uh, stereotypes if you already think that the people that you are arresting are beneath you are already criminal savages whatever if you already think that they're the lowest of the low then you're automatically going to look to exterminate first and save yourself because these are a group of people that you think don't even deserve to be here because they're criminal anyway you're thinking you're doing the race uh, a favor 
the race of people a favor by getting rid of those who you think shouldn't even be here anyway. These are the these are the problem makers. These are the problem communities, the problem populations here. If we just get rid of them, everything's better. That, that's the mindset that a lot of them have. Uh, I think it's interesting. I was uh, and I know I came in late, guys. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Well, I, I wasn't even going to say anything because nobody else knew that until That's okay. you said I like to bring it real. We real on this podcast. We re- I'm late. I'm late. You're right. You're right. But, uh, what else I'll, is new? Ah. You brought it up. Yeah. So, uh, Corey, my man Corey in here, you know, I know my man for a while now. Man, I got to say, you know, he's a stand-up guy, man. I, I've talked to him plenty of times, man. I just found out that he used to be a cop, and I thought that was interesting. Um, one of the things that comes to mind when I hear, but I always want to add. I don't. I honestly can say I don't know any cops. I don't know not one personally on a personal level. Mm-hmm. But and if y'all might have went through this, I understand. But when you see these videos, uh-huh. what goes through your mind? Uh-oh. Like the videos of you know people you know getting pinned or shot or like what's some of the things you think about? Cause that that used to be your role. Yeah, man. The things go through my mind is the same thing that go through your mind. Oh, what the hell? You That's why I'm like, what? Yeah, What's going on? I mean, when you look at certain situations and you know you had certain uh, training, you can see, like, you can dissect it. And granted, things happen quick. Yeah. But you can dissect it like, man, you wasn't even supposed to get in, be in that situation anyway. All that could have been prevented. Right. You right, know, right, so. Right, right. I mean, you got a lot of people out here, man, that are law enforcement officers, man. That's some very good ones. But, you know, um. You got some bad ones too, man, and it's it's, it's more good ones than it is bad ones. Mm-hmm. But you got a lot of people in the uniform that are very miserable, man, and so you you got a lot of stuff that's going on at home. You know, the divorce rate is just crazy high. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement mm-hmm. people all alcohol alcoholism. Mm-hmm. You know, people drink a lot. You know, and um and every day you dealing with conflict. So a, a person, man, it's a hard job, man. It, I it, believe it's, it. it's I a believe hard it. job, man, and um. People don't get like therapy and stuff like that. You know, you should get therapy, and you you every day you bringing all that type of stress and stuff with you, man. People just be snapping. You know, I I, I'm now that's not no excuse. I'm just saying that's what it is. But right, when, right, when right. I watch those videos, I think the same, man. Like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's crazy. Like, you know, because like I've been in situations. I had this conversation yesterday. I've been in a situation where I could have justifiably shot someone and killed them. I ain't do it though, right? You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Just because you can do it by the quote unquote law of the land don't mean it's right. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. And like I could have did it and had my little pay. I mean, because it's probably it would have been a black person. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because I'm working in all black neighborhoods, so it been mm-hmm. a black person. And yeah, I would have came back. Everything been all good. You know, because oh yeah, he had the right to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Can two birds with one stone for real? You know, but that don't make make it the right thing. Right. You see what I'm saying? I um. And you know what I love about our podcast, man, is that when when he came up with the name of it for a long time, I was sitting. I would, you know, I w- I would come into the podcast studio and I, you know, I would just go along because it's a podcast. But the name he picked really determines what we do. And when you say it's the hidden truths, we bring out the truths of what really goes on in this world. So one of the things that I really question myself about our topic today is. As a cop, mm-hmm. can you honestly say that, you know, it's all the cops' fault? Or do, can you sit there and say that sometimes it is the black person's fault? We use black people for it. I'm not saying it's always black people, in, but because we seem to be the the target right now mm-hmm. and, you know, we're out there, would you say majority or not even majority, would you say it's always the cops' fault? Because no. a lot of the times I see it and I'm like, come on, man. Y'all sitting here upping and saying that, you know, the black person's in the right but sometimes we do bring stuff upon ourselves and if y'all disagree it's cool i definitely want to hear other sides but nah, i just sometimes think we bring stuff on ourselves as well i agree it's, it's not always the cop's fault i mean i've seen videos where i'm like i mean that's supposed to happen you know honestly it's just being real because i'm like i'm saying it and if someone is giving you like to say verbal commands at that point it's like I mean, and this is what people gotta understand too. Like, mental health is real. So when you when you out here, you dealing with people, you dealing with people that have mental illnesses, and you dealing with people that like are under the influence of drugs, right, or alcohol. Right, right, right. So a lot of time, you're not dealing with just the um, logical people, mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of people don't understand too. Because like most of the time, a logical person 
if they getting out of hand, they know to calm themselves down and stuff like that. Right. But a lot of times, like when we see videos, we we just see like the action. We don't see what happened before 15 minutes before. No, you're right. Or none of that. You're right. You know what I'm saying? You're right. So you're we don't right. know how that escalated. We don't know if they was on some stuff. We don't know none of that. We just see a video. You know what I mean? The action. That's a that's a whole nother topic I would love to touch on because um when I when I was going through college I uh, did an internship mm-hmm. at a um big news station um and my job was actually to do uh, the cutting and snipping of film and do you know that that's what they do they cut ninety percent of it and show you ten percent of what happened I'm like what are we gonna do with the rest of this we don't need it that's not important. So you're gonna show us the ten percent, if even if even if it's that much, it might not be ten, might be five percent. But they show you the action, but they don't show you the key the key details that can really depict in your mind what really happened, and you can really justify the situation. That's what bothers me: the fact that we have so many different things that sway our minds mm-hmm. that people seem to be to the point where they don't understand that news and and magazines, sometimes social media. Sometimes only gives us but so much to what it basically tells us what to believe. Yeah, that, that's all the time. I mean, like me and Corey was having this conversation yesterday. You show people what you want them to see. You show them what you want the narrative mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, writing a script. I want the end result to be this. So I'm going to give you Just these enough. pieces of the story to make you think how we want you to think. So it really just becomes social programming. And the, the thing that comes to my mind when you were asking a question as far as, you know, our, do, do sometimes we bring things on ourselves, occasionally that does happen. Because I think all of us have probably been in situations to where we might have been, you know, pulled over in some sort of encounter with a cop. And me being more logical and more uh, calmly calm with my temperament, it's been times where, you know, a cop has asked me, Hey, I need you to get out your car and come to the my car while we, you know, write this ticket or, you know, whatever the case may be. In my mind, I'm thinking, nah, that don't even sound right. But I'm also thinking I need to keep this encounter as short as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, OK, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. And granted, they didn't put their hands on me or anything like that. But it just said, OK, typical protocol. And I'm not saying this right or wrong, but this is what the cop was telling me. Typical protocol. You come sit in my car, we write the ticket. It was a speeding ticket or, you know, moving violation, whatever. And I just went along with it. And, you know, he asked a few questions. And this has happened on a couple of occasions, too. And then five, ten minutes, I'm done. I'm in my car and I'm on my way. With your life. Right, right. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, that didn't really go how I thought it should have went because I should have been pulled over in the first place. But nonetheless... A lot of people wouldn't react so calmly in that situation. They start to get mouthy and start getting very aggressive with the cop and so on and so forth. But, 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 when it's a black person that uh, verbally retaliates against a cop, a lot of times they end up with a bullet. But we've seen so many times where other races, you know, Caucasians or whatever, they'll push a cop cuss you know whatever and it doesn't end tragically think about a few years ago with the Charleston shooting at the church with Dylan Roof right came in with the uh, I think assault rifle at the church assassinated you know eight ten people whatever number it was now somehow magically they peacefully restrained him a few couple days later or whatever that time frame was even stopped to get him something to eat on the ride to the police station. Now, alternatively, when you see a situation where it's a black person, you know, we haven't killed anybody. You know, we're just coming across an encounter with the cop. We look aggressive and cops act like, oh, we don't know what to do. This is such an aggressive black person. I have no choice but to pull my gun out because I felt threatened. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if you feel that threatened, then how did you make it through all this training to become a cop in the first place? Because that's what you're supposed to do is know how to de-escalate a situation. The thing that I never understand is the narrative that gets portrayed a lot of times is, well, if only the black person just would have been calm and respectful, it would have ended okay. But nobody ever really says, well, 
the cops should have just de-escalated the situation because they're the ones who have gone through the training. They're the ones with the gun. But me, and I'm just using me, you know, as a euphemism, I'm supposed to remain calm, but you have a gun pulled on me. Right. And I, I'm with you on that. I, I 100% agree that because you, you may be the one in the seat and the cop may be the one standing over you with a gun, I do understand that. I definitely do. And, and it's, it's turmoil with me because a lot of times I may get in a debate with somebody and they'll be like, well, you know, they're they're targeting black people and black people are the ones that, you know, that that's the first to get, you know, hit with stuff like this. But on the other side, I really can watch a video and be like, if it was me, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't react that way. And it's hard for me to take myself out of their place sometimes because I've been pulled. I'm just like, I've been pulled over. But with me, because I know and I've seen it and I use my my knowledge to say, hey, I like my life. I know this can happen. I get pulled over. I'm automatically, I already have my license in one hand, my registration in the other, my window down, my hands up. And it's not because that makes me less of a man. That's because I know what goes on out here and I don't want to give no excuse. I could be thrown on the ground and still be talking just, okay, sir, anything you need, sir, because I know that at least I did my part to save my life. And if they want to watch video and say, oh, the whole time he's, you know, hands up, yes, sir, no, sir, you can't tell me I wasn't being respectful. That's the first thing they want to say. Oh, he he was irate. He wasn't respectful. He threatened me. I just try to go into a situation the best way I can to make sure that I'm covered. And that's in all situations. And I just wish more people may would do that. But I do understand why your rights are important. You feel like you want to battle that. And so it's... Um we have to realize it's a chess game. Mm-hmm. And, and really in that term, more more checkers. It's more like checkers. They want to get that negative reaction so they know what buttons to push to get you to react a certain way. And a lot of times we fall victim to that by giving them the response that they're looking for that can justify them using uh, force. It seems not hard to make a black man or black woman irate these days. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, a lot of times, man, pe- people are angry, man. Like after a while, man, you know, just growing up as a black man, you know, you see these, you see these videos and stuff, and you had these encounters and stuff, and you just a lot of times you just get tri- tired of getting treated a certain way, man. And you might have something going on, and then the cop pull you over with that attitude, and you know, you know what time it is. Well. Oh, just get mad sometimes too, man. And that's what they like, man. Fuck this, you know. Mm-hmm. Here comes know. the bullshit. Yeah, here comes the bullshit. And man, and then sometimes people aren't able to compose themselves. So I, I tell y'all a story. When I tell you a story about this, all right. So one night we got a call. It's the, a domestic call, right? And so people don't know this, but I think about eighty. I say about eighty percent of the on um, the calls for service we we went on were like domestic. I didn't know domestic mm-hmm. disputes was. Like that I big, didn't know that either. yeah, man. So like most of the call for service, cause like I didn't do a lot of like tickets. I wasn't a traffic cop or anything like that. Like I hated pulling calls over, man. You don't know what anybody got in the car. I mean, I got stories for days for that. But anyway, so we go to this call, and the lady was saying, you know, they got hurt. Um, they child in the house, but the guy, you know, he's drunk and he got a gun in the house, you know. And a lot of times too, man, people know what to say. They can say stuff to dispatch to get us to come there quicker, even if it ain't, it's not that. So people don't talk about that either. Mm-hmm. So you can be like, oh, yeah, it's, it's alcohol involved, guns involved, have a gun. So we get in there quicker and might, might not be that. But we don't know that. All we know is what the dispatch tells us and we go into this to the scene. Mm-hmm. It's at night. We get there. We go to the house. All of a sudden, she answered the door screaming and stuff. Dude ran outside. He, he jumped out the window. So we go, we start chasing the dude. You know what I'm saying? We start chasing the dark or whatever. We run up, we catch him. We get, we, we catch him, draw down on him because he got a gun. That's all we know. He, he got a gun. Like, he can shoot me, right? You say, hey, let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Still got his hand in the pocket. Yo, let me see your hands. And he pull out a phone, cell phone, like in the movies, real. Like, he pull out a phone like that. Really did this jump. Could have lit him up and been cool with him, but we didn't do it. Now, that go back to cultural training. Now that's a risk. I couldn't could have killed him and stuff like that. But that kind of go back. It's like it's a gamble too. But it's, it go back to like knowing people too. You know what I'm saying? I could I could tell 
that Joker didn't really have no gun. You know what I'm saying? I could tell. I'm like, man, he ain't got no gun. At this point, when we on him, he turning around because he was his back was faced towards us. Like, yo, let me see your hands. Like, then at that point, I'm like, oh, he ain't really got no gun. Because it was like, it was dark, but it was like right at the street light. So it was two of us. Well, I could kind of tell. But somebody else would have killed that dude. You know what I'm saying? And justifiably so. But that kind of go too with people like he should have like if he would have listened to like if it'd been another cop and he would have just listened and did what we told him, we wouldn't have been in that situation anyway. You see what I'm saying? So right. that go to what you saying. That could have been preventable. I mean, thank God, you know, no one got hurt, but it could have got real ugly simply because you didn't follow. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Wow. So how did, how did you balance feeling conflicted? You know, because on one hand. You're a black man as a cop, and you even questioning yourself, like, you know, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. But on the other side, you know, this is something that the, the reason that you said you did it was because you wanted to actually serve the community and, you know, kind of be that voice. So how did you balance that out? I don't think I did. I mm-hmm. think that's why I left, because I um I couldn't really um balance it. And and this is the thing, because, like, even though the, the system is messed up. We we still need like good cops out there. Like I got a Absolutely. I got a, a homeboy, good brother. He probably like the best cop I ever. Like he was actually with me on that call. So um he's still a cop out there, man. We need more people like him out there and stuff like that. But I just realized it it wasn't for me because I started getting the feeling that you know either I'm gonna hurt somebody, I'm gonna get hurt or, or both. You know I start and I think when you start getting feelings and stuff like that, man, you just got to get up out of there. And that was just like the, the situation for me. And, and two, man, I, I was just feeling like, kind of like disrespected a lot, man, because like, you know, when I come on the call, you, you say you want more black officers, but we get out there, you showing a white officer more respect than us sometimes. That's crazy, right? And so it's been plenty of calls where they talking cash trash to us, but they showing the utmost respect to the white officer. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. So, why do you think that is? I don't know, man. I think it's conditioning, man. It's just like, you know, they are expected to be cops, but we aren't. Hmm. You expect to see a white cop. You don't really expect to see a black cop like that. I mean, it's not really what people want to do, like how we was talking about earlier. So, I think that may have some something to do with it. I'm not really sure. It don't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so. I mean, do you feel like... I think one of the comments you mentioned earlier was that a lot of people in the black community looked at you as an Oreo or as, right. a, as a sellout. So do yeah. you think that kind of trickled over into the disrespect that they show black cops? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, if, if you think someone is a sellout and you're looking at them, then I'm quite sure you're going to, like, disrespect them. Because, you know, like... Like, it reminds me, and this is a very timely conversation because I just watched uh, Black and Blue I haven't a couple seen weeks it. ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, is it good? Yeah, I, I thought it was a dope movie. You seen it, Jay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. A movie. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a pretty dope movie. So since you haven't seen it, and I don't know who in the audience has not seen it, I'm not going to spoil it, okay. but premise of the movie is Dirty Cops. Mm-hmm. You know, not not necessarily a new, uh, uh, a new uh, endeavor in terms of movies, but that's kind of the premise of it. But uh, it's a female black cop, and, you know, she's going through some of the same things that you're describing where her community she she wants to do it to save her community because she says you know everybody here isn't a bad apple there are good people that live live here in these communities but the people in that community look at her as a sellout because of the disdain that they have for cops so you know it just kind of reminds me of that and then there's another movie I think I was Jay, I was talking to you about it. It's called The Glass Shield. Yeah, you're talking about that. Yeah, yeah. You heard of that one, Corey? That came that one came out in mid-90s. Very similar uh format to the movie where it's a uh, a black cop and he's in a predominantly white unit and he has to make some some tough choices that challenge his 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 morals and his um you know, the essence of who he is as a as a black person. Basically, uh, Choosing his brotherhood with the police over actually what's right over over justice, mm-hmm. and the guy actually well I'm not gonna spoil the movie, but nonetheless we've seen this in cinema a lot of times, and it's interesting um, hearing the story come from you as well because you know I'm like Jay like I've never known personally a cop. So question, what well, give me your 
one of your craziest or, or worst experiences as a cop and then your best memory as being a cop? My worst experience as, as far as what? Something I've seen or like... Some, something that you've actually something. been through, seen, or a situation that you were in. Mm. I think uh, one of the worst situations I, I've been in as a cop is the night that uh, I actually wrote about it in the book. So um, I was still in training at the time. So like, I, I'm not sure. I'm sure they still do it like like this. So like, when you get out, you go through your six months of training in the academy. Then you got to ride with like officers. You 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 are in training on training day. Yeah. So it's like 14 weeks though. So Ooh. so yeah. So you riding with someone for six weeks. Yeah, that's a long. Yeah, I hated that too, man. Like one of my training officers, man, you riding with some, this joke in the car that you can't stand, like, <laughs> and you in there for ten hour shifts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But so you you ride with one officer, train officer for six weeks, and then you have like a, a midterm type week that like you kind of start doing stuff on your own. Then you um do ride with another officer six weeks. Then you have your final midterm, and then if you are deemed decent. You get cut loose. If not, you got to keep going through like the training. But anyway, I was I was um, in training at the time. It was cold, and we went out there, and it was like it was like a, a, a fire call, like call sort like fire called us out. So a lot of times, if they have a fire going on, uh, firefighters they would call like cops to come out just to like to secure the scene, so no one, no one would be out there. So we went out there, and um, they had put out the fire, and it just looked weird, man. It was like. A old like R like a bus in the in the driveway. It, looked, it was like smoke coming from it, and it looked like it was like a towel connected to a car, and it was like crazy. So you know, when you walked in there, you know it's all this water, but you seen like um shells, like you see like bullet like shells, shells. yeah, gun shells. Like oh, what in the world? So we was tripping, and then all of a sudden we see um we see it's like a thing like look like dirty clothes or something like on the, on the couch. But it's like a cover on it. So it was like, you know, like you have a couch, but it's like a cover on top of dirty clothes. That's what it looked right, like. Right. So we just walked over there, pulled over there. It was a person dead that's just been killed. So like wow. she was um she had her hands tight tied behind her back and stuff like that. And she just been she been shot. And she was on the like the sofa, you know, dead. That just happened. And no, uh, and no one knew this. Like no one knew that because when they put out the fire, they put out the fire. They're not checking anything. We just so happened to, to do that. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And we were like, oh, sh-. so we thinking like, yo, this joker crazy. He he he's anywhere around. He or she, we don't know at the time. Like he or, he or she could be anywhere. He might try to pop one of us right now. Yeah, this just became so a murder the fire scene. was actually a murder scene. It was a murder scene. Wow. Yeah, it turned, yeah, it's a murder scene. So what he tried to do was kill her and just burn torch the place. Oh, you know, like some junk like that you would see on movies. Yeah, right, like, this stuff happened all, like a lot, like crazy stuff like that. So at that, and the reason I'm saying like this, like the worst, one of the worst scenarios was because like that fear to come in you of the unknown. Mm-hmm. At this point, like, damn, I don't know where no one at. I'm a cop, just kill somebody. So they probably like, I ain't going to jail. You know, I'm going to take somebody out with me. Mm-hmm. So what you do in a situation like that, yo? Because you, wow. they already got the drop on you if they want to do something. But at that point, you just like, damn, like, so you running back out to trying to get cover or whatever. You know, but at the same time, we got to still figure out what to do. So they end up calling, like, gang unit and stuff out there, end up tracking the dude down, and dude end up, like, blowing his brains out in front of everybody. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, we found him. Like, it was crazy. So that was kind of, like, one of my worst experiences in a sense because of that feeling. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it go from, oh, we just going to secure a scene for the fire. It's all good. All right, man. We hey, we about to go back in the car. It's all good. Hold on, let me see what this is. Oh, it's a it's a dead body. Okay, you know what I'm saying? How things has just changed that quick. So, yeah, man, that was one of the, like um, I guess worst experiences for me. Um, one of the good experiences with me. I was in training this time too. I was in training and um, this guy, he um, he had shot. He had a gun like a little 25 or something. He ended up shooting it in the house. And try to say someone else shot. But he's like a teenager, like 15, 16, or something like that, maybe 17 or something. And uh they called us out there, and then we end up like showing that like, yeah, found out like, yo, he did it or whatever. So I end up talking to this dude maybe like 30 minutes. 30 minutes. So about a year or two later, I was in that area 
And a um, guy came up to like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. How, how about yourself, man? You know, most times people don't really speak to us. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? He's like, good. He said, man, you don't remember me, do you? I said, I apologize. Like, nah, I don't remember you. He's like, man, I was a dude that you talked to all that time. I listened to what you said, and I got me a job and stuff. Now I'm doing good. Oh man, word, oh, man. God. And like, I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man. Like, thank you for the, thank you for the talk. I'm like, damn. Man. So that it blew me too, cause I'm like, man, like. You know, you think people, like, don't listen. And half the time, people don't listen, but <laughs> some people do. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that was just an affirmation that all the, all the, the BS that I, like, I went through, I reached one person at least. You know, and it, and it came back. It circled, It came back full circle to let me know that. Because right. a lot of times, you know, you can do a lot of good deeds or do whatever. You just put it out in the atmosphere, in the universe. You don't necessarily know the outcome. But when that came back, I'm like, dang, well, I guess I am doing something good. That's probably I, the best experience. I know I um, read a lot of books nowadays, and one of the things that I've taken from a lot of these readings is that, you know, you should speak to people that seem that that people really usually don't speak to. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. It does. And um, I try to do that. Like, when I'm at work or I'm in the street, you know, I try to say good morning, good afternoon. I even try to hold a conversation with somebody. I was in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and um, I was in a grocery store, and this lady, I could tell she was like, you know, um, maybe not home, just more of a needy lady, you know, she may not have a home or not, but she was in the grocery store eating and um, she was just talking to me. She just out the blue was talking to me, asking me questions. And I could tell other people kind of shunned away from her, but I wanted to, you know, give her that conversation. And, you know, I think that might help because, you know, sometimes other people don't speak to them. So, you know, it makes you feel a type of way. And like Corey saying, you know, that one person, that one conversation could have changed so much to them. That could have took them off the ledge. That could have, you know, made them, inspired them to do something. So that's one of the things I try my best to do nowadays, just speak to people. I mean, what does it take? A couple words, a hey, good morning, just speaking to somebody. I mean, people are so to themselves and to social media, but when you acknowledge somebody, it means so much more. I mean, just because somebody doesn't work the same job as you or make as much money as you doesn't make them beneath you. And that's the, what I've learned from my readings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because that just being acknowledged, acknowledging someone's presence, yeah. knowing that someone cares. Cause that's really what a lot of people go through. They they think that nobody cares. Yeah. And so if nobody cares, then why should I? Yeah. Why should I care about what I do? But when they realize, oh, I have value. I am a person. That simple conversation, that simple gesture can change the whole trajectory exponentially of that person's life and the lives that they impact. That's true, man. Um, I don't know how much more time we got had, but I, I want to say this. Um, when I was going through the academy, um, one of the trainer officers said, man, you you know, your gun is not your biggest weapon out there. Like, what you think your biggest weapon is out there? People saying whatever, like, it's your mouth. It's all about talking to people, man. And if people understand that, it, it's kind of synonymous with what we're talking about, too, even with law, law enforcement. It's just life in general. If people just understand, like, how to control their mouth and how much power, you know, your, your mouth and your tongue has, then a lot of things wouldn't happen. So going back to the dude saying, you know, you don't use a lot of use of forces is because I'm using my tool, my mouth. And I'm talking to people, and I'm still respecting them, even when they don't give a damn about me. You know what I'm saying? The one thing they all always said, man, get to know people because and talk to people and treat them good because they might save your life. You never know who got the the drop on a cop or whatever. But it's some somebody in the neighborhood like, hey, Officer Townsend or whatever. Hey, man, you might want to watch out for such and such because you got a lot of good people in the neighborhood that do do right. stuff like that, you know. And that all comes back from your biggest weapon, your mouth. I watched a documentary the other day about some of the shootings that happened, and one of the survivors was like. She actually talked to one of the shooters before he did what he did. And she said she really thought that was the reason that she was alive because she was just nice to him. Mm-hmm. And when he started doing what he did, he didn't shoot her. So you see how, you know, just from her just holding a conversation and not, you know, being rude or something, it actually saved her life. Yeah, and I man. think that's crazy, man, because like you said, that mentality of some of these people out here. Maybe they just need a little talking to to be like, you know, let me let me let me calm down. Yeah, yeah, that's what a lot of it is, man. I mean, and I, I'll take it one step further, and that your biggest tool is your mind, because 
before anything comes out your mouth, whether it's for a split second, it starts oh, with yeah. a thought. Yeah, for sure. It starts <laughs> with a thought. So, um, yeah. And again, it goes back to, you know, the biases, the implicit biases that a lot of people allow to guide their actions without taking any further and actually trying to prove them right or wrong. We just approach life with those biases and just stay on that one track mind. But when you kind of step outside your comfort zone and just just get to know people and take that little bit of time, you realize, oh, well, we're not that different after all. Well, you work a job just like I do. Oh, being a cop is, you know, another job just like, you know, you know, me going to be an electrician is another job. So before we wrap this one up, I, I want to ask one more question. Um, and if you could break down some of the false perceptions that there are of cops. Okay. Um, <laughs> or negative stigmas. Yeah. So some of the perceptions of officers, it's true. And but it's not always true. Is that you know people were bullied in high school and stuff, and they need to uh, they became a cop to get some type of authority. Yeah, to get that rage. I out. mean, it's I've seen that, and I, and a lot of times it isn't that too. So mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily like you know breaking down like false perceptions because I've seen it on both sides. But I've seen a lot more that it wasn't that. That wasn't the case. That, like people just need. Corey, was you bullied in school, man? Nah, man. I, <laughs> I, I wasn't bullied in school, man. I, um, the Corey bully. was the bully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I was something like that. Nah, I'm just joking. <laughs> nah, I guess I was. Um, I was. I, you know, I played ball and stuff in school, so a lot of people knew me. Um, I was kind of popular. You know, my mom was a teacher too, so I can't really get in trouble anyway. You know, I I didn't want my mom looking bad out there. You know, she trying to teach people and her son out here. Acting yeah, up, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, cutting up in these streets. Yeah, man. I, one of my teachers I had, her son was like that. She was a teacher, but her son kept on getting suspended and just tripping. I'm like, man, why would you put your mom through that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, what? Hey, what's some other um false perceptions? Of false perceptions cops? of cops. Yeah. Um, well, you did put one that you know all cops aren't bad. That's a big one to me. Yeah, man. The, the majority of cops aren't bad for real. Um, that I've experienced because there's been plenty of times I've been pulled over and stuff too and like never gotten a ticket mm-hmm. and this is from white cops <laughs> yeah you I know mean, I, I have been pulled over several times and not gotten a ticket I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is because you know first of all my record is clean right second of all I'm showing you that you know I ain't got nothing to hide mm-hmm. I'm not trying to you know be boisterous or whatever I'm just trying to you know get out of this situation just like you are I mean half the time if you write me a ticket that's more paperwork for you yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Like, you definitely got to have to have a paper trail. And that's another reason I ain't really like locking people up and all that stuff, man. Uh, for one, I just didn't want to keep contributing to the system. Mm-hmm. You know, but two, I mean, by me doing that, now I got to do all this paperwork. Then I got to take you to jail. Then I got to go to court. Like, mm-hmm. I ain't trying to do that. I mean, and 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 that's one thing, too, man. A lot of, a lot of officers aren't out here looking for that. Now, I have come across some officers and it made me feel a certain way. And it was a black officer that, all right, well, this might be another perception that like black officers are like Oreo. Right. That was you know one of the point I hit on. Yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily the case, but in some instances it is. Cause I, I'm definitely not that. And the people that I'm cool with definitely aren't that. But I had have a, um, an officer say that like, I love arresting people. There's a black dude. Who you arresting? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Yeah, I'm, my goal is to arrest like a hundred people this year. Like, you know. So, so for for our wonderful listeners, I'm gonna go down this list real quick, and I'm gonna see if Corey can give us some answers. Okay. To some of these. Uh, Are you pulling these, it up? Yeah, I want to pull it up and see some of the wrongs that police have. So, number one, police officers are deliberately racist. Man, <laughs> I mean the the system. It's kind of set up based on racism, though. Okay. So, I, it ain't it ain't all the way anything. That's the that's the thing about it. It's not all the way anything. But I mean, you have a lot that are racist. You know, the system racist. Right. You, you know, you think about the um, prison system and stuff like that, and you think about like how you locking people up for little petty crimes that you know, if you you lock them up on a weekend, they got to go to work Saturday. They can't 
get, get to work, they may lose their job, so they got to go right back. This is a funnel system. It's just over and over. And then, you know, you get money for that. So the system crazy. <laughs> they say police violence is acceptable as long as it is legally justified. Is that true? That seems to be the case. Wow, that's deep. I mean, if you look at the videos and stuff like that, yeah. that seemed to be the case. Yeah, I mean, especially when you think about why a lot of times police try to provoke a certain situation to make it seem justified. Wow, okay. And they also say, was very interesting, they say, oh, sorry, if suspects didn't resist, officers wouldn't use force. And I don't believe that. Nah, that's, that's, that's not true. I mean, again, this, it's all based on different individuals. You know, but that's not, I like Ernest was just saying, I've seen officers like provoke. I was, matter of fact, as a matter of fact, <laughs> like uh, maybe like a month or so ago, I was like leaving the club and I seen an officer that was working off duty there, like trying to provoke some people, trying to, yeah, but you ain't going to say nothing. Yeah, just walk off. That's what you better do. See? Saying stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm looking at them like, damn. Because you know, in that situation, First of all, it's after the club. Yep. People already got lick in their system, so the ego is going to be on sky high. Yep. So <laughs> He wanted all that smoke. Wanted yeah, all he that wanted smoke. all the smoke. <laughs> he, wanted all, he wanted all the smoke, man, and I, I've seen it a lot. And that's what I'm saying, man. So you, you got a lot of times, you you have a lot of people that, that are miserable, that that hate their job. Man, there's so many people, man, I work with that are so miserable. they just looking to take their frustration out on, on something, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's people, and it's us. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like these jokes are very miserable. Like they they hate their job. And that gun gives them power. You give them power. The thing that I think about is if if there were no guns, this world would be a completely different place. Like the whole way America got based off of it, how, how America got started. Yeah. You dating all the way back to slavery. If they didn't have guns, shit would have went completely different. Yeah. That's the only thing. Just imagine if cops didn't have guns. Like, mm-hmm. Granted, they would find another weapon, obviously, right. but things would go a lot different <laughs> if there were no guns involved. That's the reason people put their hands up, stop, because nobody wants to end up with a bullet in their ass. Right. You remove, remove that gun, that equalizer, should go a lot different. Way different. <laughs> that man, situations turn real quick when that gun that, get pulled. Yeah, that saying. gun come out, and that's the thing, because like you, you, you have to be cognizant of that gun, because even if you are in the right, that don't mean all they got to do is pull that trigger. Yeah, you, you you like and that's that bullet we, ain't gonna say he was in the right, thing. right? And you know that, that what we used to say is like surviving the encounter, like what you was talking about, mm-hmm. like we call that surviving the encounter. Like even though it may be so, you may have this racist cop maybe on some some BS or whatever. Yo, survive that encounter to do what you gotta do. You right. know what I'm saying? I don't know. I just you know I know we gotta wrap it up, but I just don't I don't understand why people act so hard because they 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 feel a type of way like a gun ain't no joke. Bullets ain't no joke. It's, it's not. It's, it, I mean, I know Corey's been to the range. I've been to the range. E's been to the range. Those when you yeah. it, let somebody sit in the range and see how how powerful yeah. a gun really is. You you act all tough until you get some hot stuff in, and that shit ain't no joke. Yeah, Dude, it's funny. Real quick, <laughs> real quick. You ain't a punk because you back down because somebody right. got a gun. You smart. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't took uh, women to the range before, and all of them say the same thing before they go in. I want to learn how to shoot. I, I need a gun. I want to learn how to shoot. As soon as you step into that range and you hear that first gun oh. go off, oh, they shell shocked yeah, after that. Sure. They shell shocked <laughs> after that. Like that's when it becomes real, and that's. With you with headphones on, earplugs, and all that, right. and then you still hear how loud that gun right. is and how much power it. Packs. I think more people should at least experience it because it's yeah, a, absolutely, it's an actual respect thing. I know if I was at the range one day, I think I got like a uh, uh, forty cal, mm-hmm. and I was I was in there, you know, at the range shooting. All of a sudden, I feel this wave come and hit me. Before I hear the sound, somebody beside me has a twelve gauge shotgun shoot, yeah. and the, just that by itself yeah. was like, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to meet that. No, mm-hmm. I don't want none of that. Shot is bad. You don't want that kind of problem. Nah, I don't want them yeah. kind of problem. So maybe more people need to go to the range and see that it's no joke. This is not. This is nothing to play with. Yeah, man. Um, I was having a discussion with somebody talking about um, should you know um, we like introduce like kids. To like show them about gun handling and stuff like that, and and some people and it was funny, man, because it was, it was pros and cons because you know a lot of people they're around guns, mm-hmm. so if you properly know how to use it, you may not 
end up accidentally killing somebody. You know, just like happened on the west side. But on the, on the flip side, too, it's like you don't want to be exposing these people, these kids to learn how to use a gun because they might end up using it. I think you know what I'm saying? before you expose anybody to, you know, any sort of weaponry, you have to get their mind right first. Exactly, for sure. Like if you give somebody a weapon, you know, in this case a gun, but, you know, their mind is already a little bit off the range. You know, mm-hmm. they have some psychological issues, mental illnesses. Then no, let, let's treat that first. Mm-hmm. But a logical person, you know, if you show them how to use that weapon and teach them about it and what it can do, the logical person isn't going to look to use that first. Right. But it's definitely, especially in 2019, good for everybody to know how to use it because you never know what type of situation you may be in to where that may be your lifesaver. Yeah. Can't, can't show up to no gunfight with no knife. That's a fact. Man, I, I saw something. It's like this town, like Texas, I think. Um, everyone has a gun. Everyone, but there's no crime out there. Right. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, man, when you know that, like, you might not leave out there if you start some friction, you won't think twice yeah. for doing that. You know, Absolutely. and that's why, man, I'm a, I'm a firm component, proponent of, like, people having um a firearm. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, you got to protect yourself. Now, does that mean you're always looking for the smoke? Absolutely not. But that means you know how to defend yourself if a case may come down to it. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, you know, how you was talking about, like, even back in times as far as, like, slavery with guns and stuff like that. Like, now it's like, that's why people, you got to arm yourself. For real. Yeah. Like, you never know what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, man, like, you just can't take my life without any resistance like that. Right, right, right. So with that, we're going to get ready and wrap it up. Uh, Again, this is the Hidden Truths Podcast. We appreciate my man. Corey, a.k.a. Mr. Voice TV, the yes, man behind yes, the lens. Yes, yes. Hey, appreciate yes, that. Very Thanks good. for having me, man. Skills. Yes, sir, Thank and you absolutely. Uh, you can check him out. Follow his work on all platforms, YouTube, Facebook, IG, uh, Voiced, V-O-I-C-E-D, TV. Uh, the man is very nice with what he's been doing. He's done a lot of jobs for me. So if you're looking for any videography or photography work, that is the man to reach out to. So as always, this is the Hidden Truths Podcast, available on all listening and social media platforms. If you ever want to be a guest on the show, feel free to drop us a DM or shoot us an email, hiddentruthspodcast at gmail.com. As always, kings and queens, stay up, we out.